nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic. I will be your host for today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. And Financing Solutions is the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for small nonprofits, believe it or not. We've been doing it for 12 years. We have an you know, a excellent reputation. A lot of people are using um, our product, the, the line of product. It's a great product for nonprofits uh, for various different reasons. And if you're interested in learning more, finding out how much you qualify for, and if you qualify, and if not, why not? Please visit our podcast. I'm sorry, visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And our sponsor for today's podcast is Arrays Fast Fun Online. Arrays is accounting software that is specifically made for nonprofits, small and medium-sized nonprofits. I am on the board of two nonprofits, and we just moved to Arrays' accounting software. Um, If you're using something like QuickBooks or some other uh, generic accounting software packages, I would highly suggest you move to a raise because they're made for nonprofits specifically. That's all they do. And I'm a big believer in having industry-specific software. Um, if you are interested in taking a look at it, please uh, visit their website site at arrays.com. It's A-R-A-I-Z-E.com or give Joe a call at 866 840 Nine, uh, and today I am uh, happy to be speaking with uh, Stephen King. Stephen has a passion for helping businesses and nonprofits reach their growth potential. Regarded as a top accounting industry thought leader and founder of the first company to deliver accounting over the internet, he now serves as founder and CEO of Growth Force. Uh, he has the ability to visualize the future of accounting and assemble and assembles a high, highly qualified and motivated team, which has led Growth Force to become one of the nation's leading cloud-based bookkeeping, accounting, and control services. Stephen, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So uh, today's topic, uh, the top seven financial reports executive directors need to run for their nonprofits. Um Do you find that executive directors do a good job of having a a systematic approach to looking at financial reports? You know, um, that's a really interesting question. We do outsourced accounting, right, for nonprofits. And the number one reason why people come to us, it's not because they can't get through an audit. That's a problem. It's not (laughs) because they, they are struggling with, you know, getting the basics, bookkeeping and and billing and bill payment done. They figure that out. They struggle with the board reports. They struggle with being able to answer the questions that the board members ask them because they don't have an MBA in finance and they never wanted to have an MBA in finance. And so I think the, you know, executive nonprofits go through a life cycle, right? You start with founder led and you move to professionally run and then mature and so the answer to your question, Stephen, it depends on where they are in that life cycle. Yep. The, the majority of them, though, 
struggle with not being able to afford a six-figure CFO or a controller. Um, we do co you know, organizations you know, that are up to about 20 million in revenue. And it's hard to find somebody who has that high level expertise to guide the executive director to be able to read and interpret the results um, because nobody goes to get an MBA or spends five years to be a CPA and to take a $50,000 cut in pay. Yeah. You, you need to also, I mean, the, the exciting part of a nonprofit is often in the beginning, right? It's, it can even be described as entrepreneurial, right? Yeah. And so you, you come up with this idea on how you're going to serve uh, a cause or people or, you know, or a trade or something like that. And, and then comes the less exciting part. And that is the execution, right? And being consistent is the key. And so like having one day every month when you are looking at your financial, when you're running these reports, when you, when you know reports are the ones that are most helpful, that is the thing that people, you talked about mature organizations. That's what mature organizations do, isn't it? Yeah, and they do it one week before the board meeting so that they have all those answers figured out before they hit send on the board package. And too often what you've got is a, you know, uh, the, the, the person who's in charge of the finances, you know, let's call them the accounting manager, right? They have, they're self-taught, right? They don't have a, an MBA or a CPA or 10, 15 years of experience. And you end up sending the board uh, a statement of financial activity, which is your, your income statement, right? In the for-profit world, which shows your actual results versus the budget. You sell them a statement of financial position, balance sheet. And when you do that, you're giving the board a lot of details that are going to force them to figure out a reason to justify why they're spending an hour and a half of their time. So you go down the list. I've seen it a million times and say, hey, your technology expense was $5,000 over the budget. Do we have any problems with the server? Do we need to talk? And now you're in tactics. The board's role is strategic, right? Policy, fundraising, uh, approve on direction and vision and mission, vision and plan. And the typical reporting package doesn't get you there. And that's, you know, what I'm passionate about is helping you stay. I think what's really important at the start is I spent seven years at Ernst & Young and then I got to be the CFO of Amnesty International, right? Two totally different worlds. Amnesty's helping with Fortune 100 and companies increase profits and and sorry, Ernst & Young is focused on helping Fortune 100 companies and Amnesty is focusing on helping stop torture. Human rights activists are not financial people. And what I realized is it is way more difficult to run a nonprofit than it is to run a for-profit. Why? Because you have fewer levers to pull. When you're in a, you know, we, we do service businesses and nonprofits. And the reason we chose those two is in not every nonprofit, labor is the single biggest expense. 70 to 80% of the cost is labor. And when a for-profit, you can, if you want to generate more revenue, you can hire a salesperson. You can jump on a podcast. You can, you know, do a lot of things that will get you leads. 
And in the nonprofit world, you're really dependent on your donors. On, you know, unless you have earned revenue through services, which a lot of our clients do have, it's mostly foundations and major donors and personal solicitation. And you also, you know, are, are your budget levels, you just don't have the market rate for those salaries. Unless you're, you know, giant Make-A-Wish or Goodwill, you know, the typical two to $20 million nonprofit, that one that's moving from founder-led to professionally run, struggles. And because you don't have those levers, you've really got to have the data at your fingertips to make actionable decisions. And the traditional reports that we've got, they weren't designed that way. So let's let's go into the seven reports and let's... Let me ask you a question, a favor. Tell me the seven reports first, and then we'll dive into each one of them. So tell okay. me the seven reports so that everybody knows. Sure. So the first one is a high-level, organizational, one-page scorecard. Oh, I like that. That's, that's a great number one. I love it. Okay, what's number two? And by the way, that scorecard is charts showing trends. Yep. Not, not a full page of numbers. Yep. And number let's two. call that, you call it a scorecard. I like it. It's also maybe known as KPIs, K-performance indicators. I love it. Okay. okay. And what's number two? Budget performance. Okay. High level summary, one page. This is the board package we're talking about right now, yep. right? Yep. The board package, then the one page that says current period. If you meet monthly, it's current month. If you meet quarterly, it's current quarter. Actual budget variance. Number then, three. Oh, sorry. So the second part of budget performance is year to date. Yeah. Budget variance, delta, budget actual delta. And then the last column of that is what the total budget was so you can see how much is left. That's a real nice high level. The board's not going to get into IT questions when they're looking at a macro. Yeah. I, I don't know if you said this already, but I know what we do with our company. Um, we also, I've always done this um, with a couple of companies that I've had, but um I keep this a, a separate tab of years past so yeah, that I can see historical over a period of time, you know, because that always comes up in questions where, oh, well, how did we do two years ago or three years ago? Right. That's great. Right. So that's good. All right. So what we have to, we have to number three. Yeah. Number three. Yeah. It's the statement of activity, the profit and loss by class, by department, by program, high level. Where are we? Each of the programs as a row. Here's what the budget was. Here's what the actual was. And that's, that's uh, also an in, that's an income statement, right? Statement activity yeah. is the same as an income statement. Yeah. yeah so the, for all those listening who are not financial, it, the industry standard of the name of that is called an income statement. So if someone says to you, I need to see your income statement, like a, if a bank was going to ask for that, stuff like that, right? Yeah. You know, that's the... the They'll, the people sometimes will refer to it because of QuickBooks as a profit and loss statement as well. So it's kind of. Yeah. Or, and, and then that's the for profit world. In the nonprofit world, they call that a statement of financial activity. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. But, it, but, but it's an income statement, right? It's yeah. PL. It's, you know, income minus expenses by program, high level. Cool. The next uh, is, the next is, the, sorry, again. No, that's good. You, 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 uh, I was going to ask balance you the next sheet. one. Yeah. Next, what's the balance sheet? In the, non, in the nonprofit world, they call it a statement of financial position. As a CPA, that's kind of the official world. And you need that, but the truth is that most board members, except for the banker on the board, don't know how to read it. 
It's the yeah. income statement that they're going to focus on. Okay. Next one. Fifth one, right? Development scorecard. Hmm. Your development department is your really your primary profit center. And what I like to look at is, again, most of this, we're looking at charts and graphs and two-year trends. So you're keeping the board at a high level. I like to look at what's the return on investment on your marketing spend. Just like in a for-profit world, I believe that a nonprofit needs to be run like a very well-run for-profit. The only difference is you're reinvesting any profits back into the mission. And if you follow those best practices, it becomes, like you said before, Stephen, a disciplined monthly process where one day a week you're sitting down and reviewing numbers, but you have to make sure that you, you're, you understand the decisions that you're supposed to make from those reports. And I've studied this and over 30 years looked at what are the top five decisions you have to make. After we run through those reports, I'd love to share that. Okay. What's the next one? Your forecast to the end of the year, what the statement of activity, your, your, your income statement is going to be. Are we going to hit plan? Are we going to have cash flow problems? You know, the single biggest reason why nonprofits are harder to run than for profits is the seasonality of the cash flow. You know, if 60, 70% of your donations come in between Thanksgiving and January, August is tough. And you got to make sure you got a plan to deal with that. And then that leads to the last one, which is a cash flow forecast. Yeah, I was waiting for that cash flow forecast at one. So um, cool. Um, all right. So let's dive into each one a little bit more. Uh, so the first one is a scorecard. Yeah, this is designed. So so again, I spent you know my, t- my early years at Ernst & Young where I was a manager of accounting system design. And I learned the best way to build financial reports that are actionable, that are financial intelligence to help you make data-driven decisions, right? That's the holy grail of your reporting package. You start with the decisions. Most people come to me and say, I'd like to see a report that shows me, you know, show me what my program spending was versus the headcount. And they're, they're asking for details. And I always come back and say, okay, what decision do you, are you trying to make? then what are the drivers of those decisions? What what will make that a successful decision? And then, and only then, should you figure out what reports you want. So the organizational scorecard is designed for the most important decision, which is where should the management team, the the leadership team, and the board focus their time? And... Yeah, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. And just the, the idea here is that you have to focus on do we need to bring in revenue? Do we need to bring in uh, people or do we need to deal with our costs and make some difficult spending decisions, right? Those are really the only three big drivers of time. The second big decision is which programs should we stop? Should we start or continue? Because unless your mission is to serve everybody who shows up at the front door, you can't serve everybody. So you have to make that data-driven decision on which programs help you further your missions the most. I'd love to get into that one. Third- yeah. I, you know, listen, the scorecard is, is where you're going to spend 90% of your time, right? It, because it's really, think about this. If you're playing a tennis match or if you're playing a baseball game, if you are playing some sporting event, what is the thing you care about the most, right? It's not the how many strikes 
are going on right now against the batter. It's not the how many double faults you have in the match, right? It's it's what's the score in the in the the set. Uh, it's it's what's the score in the ball game, and that's what your scorecard tells you. And so you know, to me, uh, I love looking at my scorecard. You know, I because I can really see I have a pulse on my business. I can I know what's going on. Uh, if I have further questions, and then the other thing is, listen, it, I know a lot of uh, uh, newer nonprofits, smaller nonprofits, are listening to this podcast right now, right? And you're like, well, that's all high level stuff, okay? That's in other words, this is that this is for bigger organizations. You know, you know, Stephen you know, worked for Amnesty International. They're huge, right? Right. Uh, We don't need to, but let me tell you something. As you continue to grow your organization, if you get in a rhythm now of looking at these, at your scorecard and these reports, which are going to be much easier to look at when you're smaller, right? And put put together, you, it will, it will really help your organization grow and execute more better as you continue to get bigger. Yeah, this is this is like what you just described is the foundation, right? When you're building a house, you gotta have a solid foundation. When you're building an organization, you gotta have a solid foundation. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see in, you know, when a founder starts an organization is you're just doing it based on gut. Okay, I feel like this is what we need. This is what I see. This is what is in front of me. And the challenge is that that pattern becomes the norm as you get bigger. I've seen it all the time. As you get bigger, you have to undo that shoot from the hip, you know, ready, fire, aim mindset. And like you said, you know, either you use your your sponsor's accounting system or QuickBooks or whatever, this is simple when you know how. The problem is that most nonprofits don't know how. And that's why, you know, we, we always suggest you find a partner that's going to help be transformational in your organization, right? Yeah. Not transactional. Somebody that's got actually going in and saying, what's your vision? Let's work backwards from there and let's start now. Yeah. And the advantage too, like with your company growth force um, is, you know, you think you're bringing in an expert, which you are, but what you don't realize is that expert has had exposure. They have a lot of other clients and they're bringing all that knowledge of all the things that they've learned from the other clients to your organization. And that's power. Yeah. You know, that's really power. I, I, my favorite, you know, when we onboard a new client is I just had this one with a, you know, an organization that is in California, $6 million organization. They're using a, a bookkeeping service, large bookkeeping service, but they're like, you know, anybody can count the beans. What I'm looking for somebody is helping us, execute on our vision. And so what we start on is what are the programs, sorry, what are the outcomes that help you further your mission the most? And like we work with the Fort Bend Women's Shelter down here in Houston, Texas. And Vita Goodell, who's the executive director, said, you know, our board of directors and, and our leadership teams thinks we're being really successful but we walked them through this workshop, this five-step workshop we've got where we said, okay, what's step one? What's your mission? And what are the programs that further the mission the most? What are the outcomes that will really create um, uh, your be a success for your mission? 
And she said, you know, we're thinking that we're being wildly successful because we have 86 beds in our shelter and we're full every night. And our board is happy and our leadership team is happy. But after going through step one, I realized our mission is not to house the homeless. Our mission is to help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse. I get it. And so our number one program is not should not be housing. Our number one program needs to be our vocational training program. Because if you can get that first job, that's the best way to break that cycle and not mm. go back to the abuser. And so by, by ranking the programs based on their effectiveness, you know, does it help you bring in more clients? Does it help you improve the quality of service to your clients you already have? Does it help you serve a client? Does it help you provide a service that nobody else is providing? And does it bring in money? Because you have to have money in the equation. Money should not drive program, though. Program drives money. Then when you rank them, you can say, okay, vocational training is number one. We need to invest more money in this program. What that allows you to do is step two is look at the economics of each program, how much revenue you can bring in, what does it really cost you to deliver your services, and then how much is that per person served. Now you can go to the donors and show them the tangible result of their gift. And that's magic. Society of Fundraising Executives says, if you can show the donors the return on investment from their contribution, what actually happens when they make a contribution? You're going to raise more money. You're going to get higher average giving, and you're going to get more frequent giving. And we have seen it. The Fort Bend Women's Shelter was able to hire five people in vocational training, and then they moved on to neural, neural networking to be able to help them they weren't ready for that first job. So the second year that we did this workshop, they were like, okay, now we need to add another program to help them believe in themselves and deal with the ther therapy and the psychology. And so, you know, having data-driven decisions about which programs you stop, which programs you start, which programs you continue, helps you from the very beginning of, of an organization, helps you be generate that the maximum number of outcomes for your mission. Yeah, and I think... You know, I don't want to belabor this because we all move on to the next point. But um, I think one of the problems you have when you're running a smaller uh, nonprofit is your your head is so down doing all the work, and you can't pick it up. And you know, I think the looking at your scorecard allows you to look at things from a bird bird's eye view. And I think that the women's health center that you talked about, I'm sorry, the homeless uh, housing Fort, center Fort Bend women's shelter. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they were able to see that their mission isn't about providing housing. It's about providing vocational training because they were able to get out of micromanaging what they were doing and getting a bigger perspective is that i mean it might be a leap but i think it's the concept is true yeah it's about moving from being transactional to transformational right if you're just focusing on getting the bills paid and the and the invoices out and the board package sent out then you're not following a methodology that allows you to be able to to really focus on the strategic issues and that's why i, I spend so much time on the board package because if you get the board pack focusing on the right things, by definition, the leadership team will be focusing on the right things. 
And it's, it's the transformational part is when you're, you're studying, working backwards from the decisions you're trying to make. You know, what programs do you stop to start and continue is a major leadership decision. And following a, a process to do that really changes everything. You know, and then, and then it becomes a message of who do we serve? You know, what Vita told me recently was what's really interesting is we used to, anybody showed up at the door and needed a bed, we'd say yes. And then we realized that we needed to fill those beds with people who wanted to be in our vocational and neuro networking programmings. They wanted to break the cycle of homeless. They didn't just want a hotel for a week. Yeah. And so it really becomes a, a, a strategic, your numbers have to tell a story, right? And so if you're using your numbers to look at what increases outcomes and then also what also drives donors to pay more because you're showing that tangible result of the outcomes. Now, all of a sudden, you, you're you not just in the weeds, as you say, right? You're not just heads down trying to get to the next fire put out. And that's what I really love, you know, this 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 workshop to, to start with the decisions and then use the data to help you make those decisions. Yeah, and I'll just echo something, and then we got to move on to the second uh, report. But, um, you know, now I'm, I'm 58 years old, I'm more experienced at running businesses. Um, I might have instincts about what, you know, my business should be doing or an action we should be taking. But what I always do is, I, you know, I say, okay, this is what I think we should be doing. And then I look for data to support it. And so this goes back to the idea again of knowing your numbers, having easy access to it, uh, getting into a, a uh, repeatable execution uh, of looking at your reports. So let's, let's go to the second report um, that, that you talked about. Budget performance. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really where you're, you talked about the tennis match, right? And, you know, you want to know, are you winning or losing? And that's what the budget performance tells you. Do we have a problem? Where do we focus our time? You focus your time on the things that aren't working. And, you know, we work with, uh, I work with an organization called the Village Centers. They help adults with learning disabilities. And, and I, I'm able to share these because these are case studies. You know, we don't typically share client stuff, but they had to make hard decisions there were not enough resources to do everything they wanted to do. And the founder, you know, was a mom who, with a couple of other moms, put together this center, realizing that, you know, their children with disabilities, after the high school, there's no place for them to go. And so when you come with that passion, it's hard to say no when somebody comes in and says, can you do this for me? So when you go through that stack ranking of the outcomes for each that further the mission, what we found was the day habilitation program from the state of Texas was way lower than anybody else because their budget performance showed that we were, it was costing us exponentially more money than the state of Texas was willing to pay for a day or the, or the parents were able to pay for a day. And no matter the problem was it was wildly successful because 
we're basically giving services away mm. and everybody wanted it. Well, we started running into cash flow problems. Where that cash flow forecast, we suggest a 13 week cash flow. I don't know if we'll get to the all seven in the next 10 minutes, but the cash flow problems forecast told us as we get more successful, our problems are getting worse because we they didn't really understand the true cost, fully loaded cost with health insurance and taxes and you know the 503B, all the benefits that they had. And once they saw that true cost, they were able to say, okay, this on a stack ranking, this is helping us bring in new clients, but it's not great service because the state of Texas is 49th out of 50 in providing services to adults with learning disabilities. It's not doing something that nobody else does. There's lots of day uh, DAS uh, programs across the country, and it doesn't bring in any money because the state's underfunded and the parents don't have any money. And the donors are like, well, why are we going to subsidize the government? And so we were able to make a budgetary decision to eliminate a program because the data said this is one the one that's causing us cash flow problems. And so that's what I like about that budget performance. It flags by program and the next report statement, profit and loss by, by, by program, flags where are the issues? Where, what, what do you think was going to happen? And then what really happened? And what I suggest, what's really important is you've got to have that through an online accounting system. I don't care what it is, but you have to give that to your program manager so they can access it in real time when they're making decisions. Can they see how much was my budget? How much was my grant? How much have I spent? And can we afford to hire this person, run this bus, take these kids on a field trip. And when you have that, you can, the budget performance and the state, the profit and loss by program together, now all of a sudden it's going to flag, who do we serve? Which program should we stop, start, or continue? You know, what's interesting is if, if you were to say the top seven reports, this is what I would say, but for the top seven reports for, um, for a for-profit business, Number seven, in my opinion, would be uh, uh, the budget report. And, and with nonprofits, it's number two, right? And I, I completely get it because, you know, I deal with nonprofits all, every day. And, you know, they get these grants to come, you know, and they have to, you know, they have to budget because they get all this money at one point but have all these expenses that are they're spread out through the year. And so, you know, they kind of have to say, okay, we got to hold our expenses maybe until September because we got this big influx of money that comes in. Now that's with grants. And then you have other ones that reimbursables and, you know, there's all donor and then there's uh, fundraising events and there's all this. So, you know, budgeting is such a big part of your success and cash flow analysis. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I think the priority of the cash flow statement is directly a function of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Right. If you're if you're at if you have cash flow problems, okay, then you're at the bottom of the pyramid. You have survival and safety, right? You just gotta you gotta get through payroll. Well, then cash flow forecast is the only report that really matters. Yeah. And that's true in a for-profit or a nonprofit. You know, one of the things we try to do when we have clients with cash flow problems, one of the first things we try to do is go to the root cause of what those cash flow problems are. It's almost always that 
they don't understand the cost of services. The fully loaded labor, you know, has to be above the line in your cost of services so you can see it. And you have to make sure that on a per client basis, you're bringing in enough either earned revenue, they're paying for it, or donated revenue, grants or donors. And when you solve that, you solve the cash flow problems. It also, if you have seasonality to the cash flow problems, we also work to try and convert as many of your donors to monthly giving programs, sustainer programs. Yep. At Amnesty International, we started a Partners of Conscience program. It's our most valuable donors. If you got somebody, this is a, this is a great tip for anybody who's development out there. If you got somebody who's giving you $1,000 a year end, now, April, May, spring, early summer is the best time to go. Then I'm going to say, thank you so much for your gift. Here's what we did with your money. Here's what the benefits were, the impact, the emotions, all the story you got to tell to cultivate and acknowledge that gift. But what you want to do is ask them, can you take your $1,000 gift and turn it into a $100 gift every single month? And here's what we're going to do for $100. You're going to put three people on the bus so they can get to vocational training services so we can break that cycle of homelessness and abuse. And then every month you can just and automate it, use an ACH to their bank account, not a credit card, because credit cards get stolen and get changed, and then you have to chase that donor down. But you debit the bank account, and it's really easy to do that today. It's all automated. It doesn't cost you 3.5% like, like a credit card does. But use that monthly opportunity to say, here's your receipt, and let me tell you the story. I wish you could have been with me at the top of the stairs on the first day of school and make it a first-person story that puts you in their shoes and shows them the tangible result of their contribution. You're going to be able to get $150 a month the next time you ask and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, I just did a podcast and, um, uh, you know, reoccurring um, uh, donations uh, on average go six years long. So, yeah. So, I mean, so the, so like you use the example to say, okay, would you rather someone give you a thousand dollars now or someone give me $50 a month? Wait, it's 50. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, uh, you, you would want that $50 a month because in the long term, it's going to give you uh, a, a lot more money because it's going to go at least six years. Right. And then you also have the opportunity to go back to that person and ask for increases. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, when, I can't think of the name when they pass away. Uh, yeah. Plan giving. Yes. And, and yeah. that type of thing. So, but, and, but I wouldn't go to the $50. I would do is drop the last digit. If they're giving you $100, ask for $10 a month. If they're giving you $500, ask for $50 a month. Yeah. And what you're going to get is you're going to get 20% more right away. There you go. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, so let's, let's, talk, let's pick one of, uh, one of the last, other reports. Last one. Development report. The development scorecard. What I suggest is you've got to separate all your development expenses into a pro separate cost center and then segment out those expenses to be able to see what's the revenue and what is the, the expenses by type of revenue. What you're gonna find is, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Giving USA reports, if you haven't seen them, they're fantastic. It's really valuable report that shows you that 82% of giving in America comes from people. It's not from corporations, it's not from foundations. 
It's from individual donors and plan giving combined. And to the extent that you have a lot of energy being put into other things, like foundations are critical, you know, because that's big dollars and it's well worth it to invest in foundations. That's the number two giant source. But what I'm always shocked about is how many clients come to us and they say, yeah, we make a lot of money on events. You know, we have a, we have a spring talent show and a golf outing, and then we have the gala in the, in the fall. And the studies have shown that your events should be used to acknowledge your existing donors and recognize them publicly and to recruit new donors and recruit new board members. But, and yes, they will bring in money. People will make contributions. But if you track the time that it takes to have people running all over town to get a couple of, of wine bottles for a, for a silent auction, and then you look at the amount of money that really comes in on the silent auction, it's just never an ROI as compared to, can you put that money into soliciting your major donors, going out and visiting them and talking to them and showing them a case study that why, if you gave us $1,000, if we can, if we can what would it take for you to give us $2,500 and here's what we would do with it. So I'm not suggesting you don't have events and I'm not suggesting that those events shouldn't have a ticket price and a live auction, which has got big ticket things, but really use the development report to look at a profit and loss by type of development activity. How much ROI are you getting from the foundation work? How much ROI are you getting from events? And how much ROI are you getting from your solicitation program? Yeah, I, you know, it sounds like a lot, right? But it, it, you know, if you start doing these things and adding on to them as you go along, and you, again, I'll go back to this idea of a rhythm, right? It, it's really going to pay off for you, right? You're, you you got to start thinking about how do I move this organization from where the executive director is doing everything to the point where the executive director is managing other people and pro and, and seeing things from a, again, the word bird's eye view. And, you know, the way that you're going to do that is when you start looking at things from uh, a, a bigger perspective. Agreed? Yeah. I think it's about, you know, you, you got to figure out what is your core competency and then outsource everything else. That's what a well-run for-profit company does, right? You stick with your knitting. And very rarely is the finance back office a core competency. So if you're going to pick a partner, pick one that's going to be transformational, that's going to help you rise to that higher level. And, and it sh we should generate a return on investment every month, right? There's, 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 um, if you're able to have data for the development office to be able to generate that grant report and show what happened with the data, then it pays for itself. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I often on this podcast have a lot of um, um, coaches, you know, nonprofit coaches. They could be fundraising coaches. They could be um, mostly fundraising coaches, I guess. I, I would say is if I have my choice between bringing on a fundraising coach or bringing on um, someone from Growth Force, um, I would rather do it first, someone from Growth Force, because... You know, you, 
you know, you're going to be more effective at first than just saying, okay, let me bring in all the revenue because it, it happens all the time. You bring all the revenue, but you haven't, you don't understand your expenses. Right. And, you know, because a lot of times when you're bringing, bringing in more revenue, your expenses go up and it kind of defeats the purpose. And this is true in for-profit businesses. Yeah, well I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you strongly. I think our greatest value, and I say this all the time to our clients and our team is, to teach you how to read and interpret the results. Yep. To teach you how to be able to pinpoint where do you have to focus your time. To teach you how to understand which programs do you stop, start, and continue, and who should you serve. And where do you get the biggest ROI in development. That's the, if you're, it's transformational then. You're, you're able to be a more effective executive director if you know how to look at a report and not get intimidated. Well, it's all good stuff. I know that uh, Stephen and I could probably talk about you know every single one of these in even greater detail, but I think you know you kind of got the uh, a lot of our listeners got the gist of you know the importance of these reports. I'd like to thank so very much Stephen King from Growth Force, uh, GrowthForce.com. I think is the website, right, Steve? Yes, yep. GrowthForce.com. Um, for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please do us a favor, do me a favor and give us a five-star review. It helps us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you could visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com or give us a call at 862-207-4118. Stephen, if people want to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, if you're struggling with the financial management or, you know, you look at this and you say, oh, my God, I don't know how to look at development ROI or which program should I stop. It's really easy when you know how, when you set it up. So if you're not getting that actionable insights for the board or leadership team to make decisions, go to growthforce.com slash NFP, growthforce, G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com slash NFP, non-for-profit. And, and you can start a conversation right there on our website. And there's a lot of other resources, including an ebook on an executive director's guide to board and manager reports. Or just email me, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at GrowthForce. I'm also on LinkedIn, Stephen King CPA, and Twitter, Stephen King CPA. Good stuff. Thanks, for Stephen, for coming on. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. So for our listeners, I want to thank you all for doing all the heavy lifting and trying to make this world a better place. We certainly need your help. Um, you know, but the thing I want to remind you, I know Stephen and I are both trying to do our parts in making the world a better place in our own way. But you guys are out there every single day. Um, I know you lose sleep over what you do too. And I just want to remind you to take good care of yourself. And if you don't take good care of yourself, you're no good to your employees, you're no good to your cause, you're no good to your family, you're no good to your friends. You need to take care of yourself first, and then you'll be able to help everybody else at that. And of course, that means eating, exercising, taking time away from your organization, those type of things. But uh, I know you're all working a million hours to try to help people. Just remember that you need to help yourself first. So other than that, I just want to wish everybody a great day. And thank you for listening to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. See you later.